You've got your Bible, take it out and open it. If you didn't bring one, take the one out in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that home. It is our gift to you. And um, turn with me, if you would, to our reading. It is in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're making some real meaningful progress in our journey through the Bible um, this year as a church. And um, we're going to start in chapter 18, verse 20, as we have often been doing, especially in these narrative scriptures that we're reading through. Um, I'm not going to read it at the beginning. Instead, I'm going to read through it as we talk about it and move through the message together. As you're looking that up, I also want to ask you to to multitask by asking yourself a question. What is your favorite distraction? What is your favorite distraction? I love some of the smiles on your faces because you're thinking about the distraction right now. You know, we all have them, things that we reach for when we need to kind of escape. And we live in a time and a place where there's about as many options to be distracted by as there are people to be distracted. I I think about myself and the things that I often will bring up in sermons, things like a good television show. Um, One of my favorite distractions when it comes to TV shows isn't necessarily a really good TV show, but a mediocre TV show that I can watch like seasons of in the background, just get drawn away on Apple TV or Netflix. Does anybody else kind of have that distraction? I'm not alone. All right, another one, of course, is to get distracted by my cell phone. How many of us can relate to that? All of us who own a cell phone can relate to that. And, and, and I'll be thinking about like as a dad, I'll be staring into the screen and looking into the endless abyss of shows and emails and news or whatever I'm looking at. And it's, it's usually one of my kids, usually the two-year-old Grayson will come up to me while I'm doing that and go, Daddy, 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 look. And, and, and on a good day, I will, hopefully that's all it takes, I'll turn the show off, I'll put the phone down, and, and I'll love the child that's sitting right there in front of me. And, and I, I'll, I'll never forget, I read some years ago, I probably shared this before, when it comes to the children in our lives and our devices that we're still trying, I think our whole generation is just going to be, our life is going to be trying to grapple with this this new technology, Um, instead of focusing on how long we should be spending behind a screen every day, the question was, when it comes to the children in our life, are we giving them the impression that what we're looking into the screen at is more important than they are? And if we are, then we're using it too much. And I like that because it kind of helps me make sure that I stay focused because the truth is there isn't always anything particularly wrong with our distractions. You smiled when I asked you the question, what is it that you get distracted by? They're not always a bad thing unless they take us away from what really matters. And that's why I bring up cell phones so often, because I'm guilty of that. It takes me away from what really matters far more often than I would like, and I know that's true for the majority of us. It's become so much more than just a functional device. It's become a distraction that's more than a distraction because it's taking us away from what's going on right here. And when distractions get to that level, they become even more than a distraction. They become dangerous. If you don't believe me, look at the statistics that over 3,000 people die each and every year in automobile accidents that are caused by distracted driving. And it's all the same thing. Distractions become dangerous because we are looking at them. We are asking them to give us something that they can't give 
at the expense of what we really should be focused on. And at best, they leave us empty-handed. But at worst, they leave us with worse. And that's what we're going to read in the story today. It's what happened to God's people. Last Sunday, um, Bill Gross did a phenomenal job um, connecting the historical dots that are bringing us to the place that we are today in a journey that we're taking as a church through the Bible. And if you just joined us this weekend, you're, you're fine. You're going to jump right into the perfect spot. Um, at the very beginning of the story, God created everything, right? And he created everyone and started with two people, Adam and Eve, and the thing that drew them away Away from God at the very beginning was a distraction. It was fruit on a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And just like the distractions that we get drawn into today, it tasted good. It was fun. And there were all kinds of things that it opened their eyes to. It unlocked a world of power and perspective and control over things they never had control over before. See, before that, they had dominion over creation. That's good. That's what God created. But at this point, they were called by eating that fruit to hold the balance between good and evil. And human beings are incapable of holding the balance between good and evil. And so God tried to protect them from this outcome at the beginning in chapter 2 when he said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, say it with me, you will certainly die. See, God does not want them to die. And it's going to kill them because it's going to distract them from God. God says it will distract you from me and I am the source of life. And that isn't just evidenced in his presence in the garden, but it's in the fact that God created this garden with everything in it for them to meet their needs. And so he says you can eat from any of the trees in the garden. Look around. I'm here. I am providing for you everywhere. And yet, as they looked at all of the examples of the presence and provision of God, instead of focusing on all the things God told them to, they ended up getting drawn, squirrel, (laughs) to the one thing that they were told not to. They focused on the one thing that could never give them what they need, And they asked it to give them everything they need. And it killed them because it left them with nothing. And I just, I think about that line and I think, man, how many times have I done that? (laughs) Have you ever asked something to give you something and you were disappointed because once you got it, you realized there was nothing there at all? That's the story at the very beginning. And it begins with distraction. Distraction can be deadly. Distracted driving costs lives. And what we're going to read in our reading in 1 Kings is that distraction from God is the ultimate distraction that draws us away from life itself. It's the same story that we read in the garden. The the, the people's names have changed. We, We don't just have two of them anymore, but we have an entire nation, the nation of Israel that is distracted and divided against itself. They've been drawn into this focus on a foreign god by the name of Baal, and they're asking this foreign God to give them what only the one true God, Yahweh, can. And they're breaking the first command, the commandment in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, where God says, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Now, here's how we got to this point. Ancient Israel began, if you remember, they were saved from slavery in Egypt, drawn through the wilderness into a new land, and God showed them that he would be present with them, literally, tangibly, in this thing we call the Ark of the Covenant. Then later on in their history, and I shared this two weeks ago, they demanded a king as they had become established as a nation. And they got what they wanted. The first king was really bad. All the kings ended up driving away in some way, shape, or form. But the second king was a man by the name of David. And he was known as a man after God's own heart. And he restored the focus of God's people. He was not perfect but he restored the focus on God's, of God's people on his presence by bringing that ark back to the center of their nation and their worship in their capital city, Jerusalem. And then his son Solomon built this grand temple around it. But unfortunately, none of it was enough, and the distractions became too great. The kings who were over Israel and the people that followed got distracted by the same things that distract us. It all can be boiled down to power, sex, money, control. And by the time we get to our reading in 1 Kings 18, they've all but abandoned God. And when that happens, God raises up prophets. And the one we're going to meet today is a man by the name of Elijah. Now, the word Elijah, the name literally in Hebrew, means Yahweh is God. His name tells you that he has a sole purpose on earth, and that is to remind God's people there's only one God. His name is Yahweh, and center them back on him. And in the story that we're jumping into, they have found themselves in a three-year drought that has been the consequence of their distraction, falling away from God. The current king of Israel isn't David, it's not Solomon, it's a man named Ahab. And so Elijah has him call this great assembly together for an epic showdown between God, Yahweh, and their chief distraction, the Canaanite storm god by the name of Baal. And yes, it's ironic that they are worshiping the storm god and it hasn't rained in three years. And so there's going to be this, this battle between the two of them and and. Elijah's going to explain how this is going to work. So take a look at your Bible, and we'll read the first two verses of our reading. So Ahab sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And say this part with me. But the people said nothing. Do you know why? The people said nothing. Because when you're so deep into a distraction, you don't say anything either. You ever been watching your cell phone, right? Somebody comes up, tries to get your attention. It's not that you're trying to be rude. You're just so immersed in this thing, right? Like, that could be a simple example. But, but the truth is, when you're holding on to something that you think is going to give you hope, and you haven't yet given up hope that it's going to give you what you need, you don't want to give it up. And so in this particular moment, these people said nothing, and Elijah is forcing the question, you can't have it both ways. You either grab hold of your distraction, or you grab hold of the one true God to meet your every need. You can't have both. How long are you going to try to keep your feet in both worlds? And the truth is, they're not ready to respond to that yet because they have not hit rock bottom. And, and anybody who, who deals with addiction knows that 
you have to hit rock bottom in order to come up, right? And, and I would say everybody deals with addiction. Maybe, maybe you drink your addiction. Maybe you smoke it. Maybe you buy it. Maybe you spend it. Maybe you eat it. Maybe you watch it. Maybe you work at it. But we all deal with addiction. And rock bottom could be simply defined as the moment where the thing that you've been living for, the thing you've poured out your life into, has left you empty-handed with nothing, and you have no other choice but to grab hold of something new, hopefully something better. And so I want to just imagine for a minute that Israel is addicted to Baal. This is more than a distraction, but they've put their hope and trust in this. And for your purposes, I want you to imagine that this passage is like one of those Mad Libs. Does anybody, anybody still do Mad Libs? Show of hands. Or you remember that from my, must, it's probably an app now. Um, but back in the day, it was, it was a physical piece of paper and there'd be this story. And within the, so you don't read the story ahead of time. Within the story, you got these different blanks and you fill in the blanks, right? With a noun or a verb or an adjective. And then you read the story. And so what I want you to do is I want you to imagine this story is a bit of a Mad Lib. And every time you see Baal, maybe even just close your eyes right now for just a minute. And I want you to ask yourself, what is it? that's distracting me? What's drawing me away from what matters most? Is there something in my life that's drawing me away from God? Whatever that is, keep that in mind. That's that's your blank. Every time you see Baal, as we read, I want you to think about that thing that matters to you. You can open your eyes. Elijah asks the question, how long are you going to waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. You have to pick one or the other. And they said nothing because they haven't hit rock bottom yet. They're not convinced that the thing that they're holding on to, that their distraction, that their addiction is not going to give them what they need. And you know what? Sometimes if you love someone who's so deeply caught up in that, they need another voice to come and lift the bottom up, Right? They need to lift the bottom up. And it's, it's no different than if you're a parent or grandparent of a toddler who's learning how to live, and they kind of fumble around. And oftentimes, the way that they learn lessons the best in life is when they make mistakes, and they have to pick themselves up, and they have to learn from them. And so what we see here is Elijah is going to give this entire nation an opportunity to do just that. And it's a pretty incredible story. So let's, let's keep reading. Verse 22, Elijah says to these people who have all gathered in this place, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and I will put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you are to call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And then all the people said, what you say is good. Let me make this really simple. This is like the ancient Hebrew version of Master Chef. (laughs) Anybody a fan? I I can't say I've watched it. I've just read about it. We're more in our house. We're more of a 
a Netflix nailed it family. Has anybody watched that one? Um, if you haven't watched that one, that one's a lot of fun. I think, I think during the pandemic, we watched like lots of it. Um, it it's, it's a show um, where they have these bakers that make these elaborate cakes that look like different things. And then they bring amateur people like you and me to try to replicate that. And they try to figure out whether or not you... Nailed it, right? That's how it works. And the reason that I like the show so much is that almost always, as you're watching through it, it makes me feel better because it looks more like this. <laughs> I was trying to find one that, that was reflective, and I realized I don't even think I could make the one on the right. I, I'm not sure I would know how to make it stand like that. Um, but I want you to, to have this picture. Here's Yahweh. Here's Baal, okay? That's in your head because that's what's going to happen. Actually, it's going to be even worse. Master Chef, let the competition begin, all right? Actually, let's make this a little bit interactive. Why don't you, why don't you give a drum roll for this? Let's give a drum roll just with your feet. Let's do this. Come on. I know the kids are down there. They were adults. Let's do That's not a drum roll. I need more of you. Drum roll. This is a big thing. Little bit more back there. Yep, I see you. All right, keep doing that. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls. Prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. And so they took the bull given to them and they prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. Come on. Bum, 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 bum. This is what's going on. They're shouting. There was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar that they had made. You can stop. You've earned your breakfast. <laughs> I didn't know I came to church to exercise, Pastor Tom. Thank you. It's a big deal. Lots of people surrounding this experience. And like an alcoholic that's looking for hope at the bottom of a bottle or a workaholic that's looking for peace if I can just get the next thing done, if I can just earn the next promotion, if I can just make that next commission, these prophets of Baal have danced. They're dancing. They're screaming. And nothing happened. And this is where it gets funny. This is where Elijah gets Gordon Ramsay on the prophets of Baal. Um, take a look at the next verse. It says this. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely Baal is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now, I'm reading into that a little bit of emphasis, and I'm having a little bit of fun, but I assure you that's exactly what what he's doing because when you get taunted when somebody tells you you can't do something what do you do watch me <laughs> and so that's what the prophets of Baal said verse 28 they shouted louder they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice but there was no response no one answered no one paid attention Go back to Genesis. The distraction in the garden at the beginning. Why did God tell them not to eat the fruit of the knowledge of the tree and evil, good and evil? Because it would what? What would happen? It would kill them. They would die, right? Don't eat it. It will take you 
away. It will take your life. God doesn't want them to die. That's the heart of God. (laughs) And distractions, at their worst, will do that. And so here you've got the prophets of Baal literally bleeding out, physically bleeding for a God that gives them nothing in return. You ever bought something that gave you nothing in return? You ever grabbed hold of something that gave you nothing in return? They are literally bleeding. They have been dancing. They have been shouting for hours. And if you're watching this, you can't help but start to think, in all honesty, when is this going to end? When is God going to send a prophet to say, stop, enough is enough? And thankfully, that is the purpose of Elijah here. And before we read his words, to say just that, I want to bring you back to the Mad Lib. Because I would imagine that maybe there's at least one of you here today that filled in the blank with something that's drawing you away from God and away from others and away from your family and away from whatever it might be. And and you're asking, when is God going to send a prophet to call me back too? I want you to hear God's word speaks to you too. Elijah says to all the people, come here to me. As all this dancing and sacrificing and jumping around and bouncing is happening, you can almost hear everybody pause and quiet as Elijah says, come close. Stop it. Put down your spears. Put down your efforts. That's enough. Come close. Verse 30, they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. There's so much symbolism here, so much more than we have time to talk about today. But I told you about the name Elijah, right? It means Yahweh is God. You may remember what the name Israel means. Israel means wrestles with God. Jacob was given the name Israel because he wrestles with God. God. He is reminding them. Elijah is reminding these people who are descendants of Jacob, who wrestled with God and was given the name Israel, that they are just like their ancestors. He's reminding them with the 12 stones that they are from 12 tribes who come from the descendants of those great people that come from Abraham, whom God said, you will be blessed to bless the world. As they have gotten distracted, God draws them closer. And friends, I want you to hear that God wants to do the same thing for you and me too. God draws close to us when we are distracted away from him because God wants to rescue us. The story of Jacob, you may remember, Jacob wrestled with God in the form of a man. And he was touched He was given a new name. He was even given a wound to remember that rock bottom moment by. And it is the same thing here. God is calling an entire nation of people who have been wrestling so long with their distraction, with their addiction, with whatever it is that you're filling in the blank for in your own life. They have been wrestling so long with Baal to desperately give them what they need and they're getting nothing and Elijah comes like a cool drink of water after three years of drought and he says stop it put it down that's enough come close 
Verse 32. The stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. Then he said to him, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Remember the challenge, right? The rules are simple. You prepare the meat, God will start the grill. (laughs) That's the story here. Verse 34, after pouring those four large jars of water on the altar, Elijah says, do it again. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time, and the water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. Have you ever tried to start your grill after pouring water over it? Several times, so much water. Verse 36, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are Lord, that you are God, and that you are, say it with me, turning their hearts back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Does anybody here like having bonfires? Anybody here have a fire pit in their yard that they built with big stones? When was the last time that your fire got so hot that the bricks in your fire pit melted (laughs) and it left nothing but a hole in your backyard. That's what happened here. And when that happened, verse 39, it says, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they found that when they hit rock bottom, when they were utterly exhausted and bleeding and giving every ounce of their hope into this distraction, this addiction, this God that does not exist, this bail that could give them nothing in return. It was in that moment of desperation that they found that the one true God is real. And friends, God promises to come to you in the same way. He promises to wrestle with you when you get distracted. He is yearning to come before you and grow closer and closer to you to rescue you because this is not the story of an ancient fire contest. This is a battle that is being fought every single day in our hearts. It's why Elijah says, answer me, Lord, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their what? Hearts back again. So I want to ask you one more question. Maybe even close your eyes and I want you to think about that distraction you filled the blank in with that's become more than a distraction. You realize it's dangerous. It's pulling you away from others and maybe even pulling you away from God. Ask yourself, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, 
what am I asking that thing to do for me? What am I looking for in this thing that has pulled me away from what matters most? What am I asking it to do that it is utterly incapable of performing or doing for me and my life and drawing me back to God? When I think of my distractions, my addictions, I'll tell you, I don't think I've ever asked anything to breathe fire down from heaven for me. Have you ever done that? (laughs) But I have a whole list of things that I ask for that are actually more powerful than fire. I'm looking for something to give me forgiveness, peace, grace, hope, love. Have you ever tried to drink that? You ever tried to earn that? You ever tried to buy that? It's not so easy, is it? Truth is, fire is actually a lot easier to produce. I went to the hardware store yesterday, and for three bucks, I bought a box of fire. But when I asked them what aisle they boxed forgiveness in, (laughs) they didn't know what I was talking about. When I asked them where grace could be communicated, they didn't know what I meant. When I told them that I was in the store looking for love, they thought I was a crazy person. (laughs) Because the truth is, you can't buy those things. You can't generate those things. And yet, because of Jesus, what I want to leave you with, if nothing else this morning, is that you don't have to. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. Is the very presence of God himself. He died on the cross after living the perfect life to take away every distraction, and the ultimate thing being sin, the distraction that draws us away from the God of life. He died on the cross to take it away, to extend grace and forgiveness, to give us faith and truth, and then rose from the grave to leave us with the presence of God wherever we go, a presence that comes to us in the Holy Spirit and came to the first generation church in the book of Acts with tongues of, do you remember the story? Fire. Because the fire now lives in you, in me. And I brought out this candle to remind us. This candle is used traditionally in church to be reminded of the hope of the gospel that we have in Jesus every time we have a baptism or a funeral. We read the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, which says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, you are already the recipient of fire from heaven. And it comes straight into your heart of hearts in the form of forgiveness and peace and hope and love. 
And as soon as we receive that fire, we are invited to go share that with the world. Gifts that don't come from fire itself, but come from the one that made fire in all things in the very beginning. And I don't have time to get to the next chapter, but i got to tell you about the next chapter. After this whole story, you think you're tired because I made you make, you know, do this. <laughs> Can you imagine how exhausted Elijah was? This whole thing was brutal. It gets worse before it gets better, and he's running for his life. And he ends up hiding in a cave. And the God of life and of peace and of grace and of forgiveness of truth offers Elijah the presence of God that he would pass by, that he would meet him there. And so Elijah comes out and he's looking for the presence of God like you might be looking today for the presence of God. And he stands out and there's this massive storm. But God isn't in the storm. Then there's this incredible earthquake, but God is not found in the earthquake either. There's even fire, and this time, God's presence isn't found in the fire. Do you know where God shows himself? In a whisper. My question is, maybe maybe that's the way God wants to speak to you and me today too. So as we watch and as we listen, ask God. Where are you wrestling for my allegiance, for my attention? What distraction are you calling me away from, rescuing me, that I might find life in you? Let's watch.